Welcome to No Persinium's Review Crew. This is a very special episode and will be your host today. Uh, today we have myself, Shelly Snyder, NoPro's London curator. And Leah Davis from the great wide United States, here only, only, only to see many, many, many uh, sessions of The Burnt City. Yes, so as this is Review Crew's episode 42, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't mention that the answer to life, the universe, and everything is, for many of us, punch drunk. Uh, this episode comes with a big spoiler warning. There is just no way for us to talk about The Burnt City without spoiling something. So if you want a spoiler-free review, please go read the official No Pro review, which has already been published online. And do go read it. Shelley wrote it. She's not going to say that right <laughs> here, but it's fantastic, and it is, I guarantee, completely spoiler-free. Thank you very much. So with that spoiler warning said, and anyone who doesn't want to hear anything has already turned off the podcast, let us begin to waps, wax rhapsodical about the burnt city. Leah, how many times have you seen it? You've only been in town for a couple of days. <laughs> how many times have you well, been? All right, so first of all, uh, now that we're all alone here, welcome, welcome, fellow travelers. I'm so excited that we get to talk about this, and Shelly, I'm so excited to talk with you about it too. Uh, I've seen it twice now. Um, I had very reasonable plans to see it four times over the course of a week. Completely reasonable. And I got here and booked one more, so now I've got Friday night tomorrow as well. So you just see it five times. Yes, and I'm not sure it's quite enough for me. Um, <laughs> but, but I go back and forth. I, I've seen it twice, and right now I feel like I have a very strong understanding of the show. So we might want to revisit this topic again in yeah, a few days. Of course. I myself have only seen it twice. Um, I got to see it once in previews, uh, and then I've just seen it last week. Now that the official opening has uh, gone on, it's been finalized, and so they're, they're doing what they consider to be the quote-unquote final iteration. Okay. Although I'm sure some things will change. Well, I want to hear what, what's changed so far for you. Um, I don't feel that it's fair to sort of reference what happened in previews, because previews is you're working out where your crowd pinch points are, you're working out does certain tech fail in certain spots. So uh, I would not use pre previews. Previews was, was a nice, privileged experience for those of us who were sort of, you know, here anyway, living in London to go and see, but like to, to nitpick and be like, oh, the sound didn't work here, or, you know, the crowd pinched here, or this prop didn't exist. Like that's just dumb and a waste of time. Yeah, I agree, but I do think there's something interesting, and we don't have to carry on with this, but there's something really interesting, not to critique previews, but to think about the creative process and mm. how audience interacts with spaces and how the audience changes a show fundamentally, which is something that you really only get in immersive. That's true. Okay, fine. I sit corrected. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like a lot of seeing the final, quote-unquote, final product it was already fleshed out in previews. Like there weren't major, major changes. Um, but I think maybe they, they learned to prepare the building itself and we'll get to the building. There are points where it's just not possible to fit that many people in seeing a really, really cool scene. And there never was with Punch Drunk. But on the other hand, <laughs> the big spaces, like you, even though there's like, I think it was a capacity of like 600 people no. per show in, like it's like, like you can have up to 600 people per show. And for the finales, finales, plural, um, you have that many people in a space and it doesn't feel like it because it's huge. It absolutely it's doesn't. So huge. Now I'm horrible at 
guesstimating numbers. I can look at a, at a jar of jelly beans with like 400 in them and I'll think like, yeah, there's two, it's fine. Um, I felt like maybe there were 40 other audience members with me last night. Really? And that is absolutely not the case. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> so really wonderful job, people moving. Maybe we should talk um, just briefly for the small number of people who want spoilers but also don't know what we're talking about yet. Sure. Let's set the scene. What sure. is The Burnt City? The Burnt City uh, takes place during the fall of Troy. Uh, and it takes place in two different settings in the city of Troy itself and in the city of Mycenae. Uh, and so the burnt city itself takes place basically across two buildings, two giant warehouse buildings that have been, you know, sort of connected in the middle. And so the audience traverses these huge spaces, at least two floors, two or three floors, I would say. Two. F- well, I think there are two official floors, but there are some sort of like Intrafloors between floors. I don't know, man. Very John Malkovich. <laughs> uh, and so that's and so you're following uh, mortals and you're following gods and you're following uh, royalty and commoners. I think there's a cast between twenty and thirty, all spread out through these spaces. Oh wow! So so this is uh, Punch Drunk's telling of the fall of Troy. Yes. And it's definitely layered in the same way that all of their work is layered with um, modern media. These, these older stories sometimes told mm-hmm. uh, through different lenses. Uh, we're also adding a nice, solid foundation of Metropolis, uh, the Fritz Lang 1927 movie on there. Yep. Uh, which, I mean, when I, I learned that after the fact, but, <laughs> <laughs> but when you think about it, you just see all of the, the, visual, the visual cues that are coming from this sort of post-industrial intro war between war movie um, mm-hmm. it's really about the anxiety of capitalism and the working man <laughs> so that's fun we can get back to that i don't know i got shades of apocalypse now oh, when i went yeah. to see it like trapped between these two uh, armies and you're walking through this misty multicolored, uh heavy jungly environment and you're trying to decide who's the crazier of the two yeah okay so but there's tons of influences Right, we've got a little bit of Inferno going on. Yeah, exactly. 14th century poetry, a little mm-hmm. Virgil. Yes. Um, so you said you raised an interesting point uh, in our chat before this podcast of, is this a show that could only exist in London? And I am curious, what do you think about this? Uh, no Crow really only started covering the UK in 2016-ish, uh, maybe 2017-ish when I showed up. Um, and immersive has been sort of a, a quiet influence in the UK for much longer than I think people give it credit for. It has a huge foothold foothold in this industry over here. So I'm not I'm not sure if this is a show that can only exist in London. I can say that the culture over here is deeply in love with the classics. Uh, the whole idea of the audience having to basically go and do background research and to read the story of Hecuba and Agamemnon in order to follow uh, the plot points going on in the burnt city. The fact that Punch Drunk almost takes it as read that people here would know those storylines sort of leans on the idea that they rely on the fact that classics are taught in schools hmm. regularly, whereas you and me, like we're from the U.S., they might cover Greek history a little bit, but it's not ground into you the way that maybe it would be ground into you in 
primary, secondary, Eaton College over here. Mm-hmm. People don't know the, the Hecuba and Agamemnon stories. Now, they do try and solve for that in an interesting way. Um, when, mm-hmm. when Punch Drunk is bringing you into the show, um, how did you feel about the, the entry, the onboarding, which... Spoiler? No, we don't have to do spoiler alerts. <laughs> this whole episode is a this, spoiler alert. Right, spoiler alert indefinitely. Um, is meant to look like a gallery, like a museum. Yeah. Punch Drunk is famous for its that the black velvet, um, disorienting, maze-like entrance. Everyone likes to quote Felix Barrett's line about the murky hinterland between the real world and the immersive world. I love that phrase. So while the gallery idea is really cool and it sort of it gives you the plot points, I think given the number of audience members, it's really, di- really difficult to like see those points and retain them. And like you're so excited about going into the show. Yeah, you yeah. You just forget. So if you didn't do your previous research, you might not remember any of that. Yeah. One thing that I really liked that they did, though, um, which seemed to hit a few different kinds of, of learning styles, was they had... A big open um, lobby where you could, it was very, very like standard museum. Mm-hmm. There were some things on plinths uh, and mm-hmm. there, were, there were lots of large posters that explained some history, gave you some information about some of the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if you didn't pay much attention there, they took you then in the next step is an, a guided audio tour in the museum where you have... Um, a voice in each room that gives you a little background about these objects, the singular object that you're looking at, and tells you a little bit about um, their importance and the story. So you get a little bit of information about Ag- Agamemnon and Clytemnestra, and you get a little bit of information about Iphigenia, who is mm-hmm. sacrificed. Um, and I, I hear you, because I definitely didn't feel like I was absorbing anything that I was reading in that first room. Mm-hmm. And I tried. I yeah. tried. I, I, would, I stared at those things. That's going to be so important. Right. It must be. Oh, wait, what was his name again? And then I'd turn yeah. around and I wasn't absorbing anything because I was just trying to be in the moment. Yeah. Um, but I found it a lot easier to sit in that room and absorb the audio that I was hearing because yeah. audio plays such a huge role in punch drunk shows. Mm-hmm. So for some reason, I don't know if it was how it was done or what, but it, it just sunk right in there with me. I thought, ah, this is the stuff I want to remember. I wonder if it's because with, with the plinths, like you have to be able to see the little written thing and there could be people in the way and there could be, um, you know, it might be too dark, you might not be able to read it, but no matter where you're standing in the room, you can hear mm-hmm. what's going on. So maybe that's the reason why it yeah. stood out better. And maybe it primes you for the incredible audio that happens once you get into the show. Is that just, I don't know about you, but it just... I felt like I was being pulled around by my ears. Oh, the, the best part about their sound design is that every room transition is the sound design. There is no sound bleed. So like, even if you walk through like an archway into a, you know, a quasi room that doesn't have like a door behind you, you don't hear any of what's happening behind you. There's like, a, like an invisible wall that drops <laughs> behind you. There's no sound bleed. It's just immediate and jarring. And all of a sudden you're in a totally different space with a totally different smell. Oh my God. Okay, first of all, I wore my mask that I'm wearing today into the show the other night, right. and I still have that signature oh. theater haze, sleep no more, punch drunk smell. Now, yes. now I get to think of it as the Burnt City smell as well. Yes. <laughs> it's on my mask. It's, it, it's everywhere. I'm just wandering around in Woolwich. 
smelling the smells. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yesterday, I near the end, I opened a door from one of the hallways into a room where something really active was happening, really dramatic and tense, and you could hear it and see it. Um, in the faces of the or the, the postures of, of my fellow ghosts mm-hmm. um, and there wasn't quite enough room for me to get into that second room and I was sitting there with the door open and it suddenly struck me how weird it was to hear audio from these two places mm-hmm. especially because one was the hallway back to Troy mm-hmm. uh, and one was moving on into the um, Mycenae mm-hmm. Mycenae mm-hmm. We practiced this ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm fully committed to Mycenae, so <laughs> Mycenae. Um, but, but I was just, I, I think that I, I absorbed Punch Drunk's norms and the cultural standards that they were inherently asking of me while I was in there without even thinking about it. Yeah. So I really wanted to close that door. Yeah. Right. In or out, but close the door. Right. And of course, nobody was hassling me about it, but it was just like a very internalized feeling of like, we do things a little differently here, and and I, I wanted to be a part of that world, which is one of my favorite parts of Immersive, too. Yeah. Right. When, when new norms are created, and we all just sort of inherently follow them. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of norms, I had an interesting experience with uh, some of the audience members. Oh. I had some interesting experiences. Nothing bad, especially. That's good. Yeah. But I'm coming from a place... Um, so I live on the East Coast of the United States. I've seen Sleep No More more times than I can count. I have a deep and abiding love for it. Um, even if it has its own problems, which we can talk about in a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> dot, 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 dot. <laughs> but, but there's a strong audience culture that exists around that show. Mm. And... Sometimes I feel like it can almost make it really hard for new people to get into the Punch Drunk universe or the Sleep No More universe. It's a very high level of entry. The bar is high. Mm-hmm. Um, and so right now at the beginning of this new show, sure, people know what Punch Drunk is and the, the drowned man existed mm-hmm. here before. So I don't know how much of the same audience is coming over. Um, I, you know, it's probably it's Punch Drunk fans and people who have for the last six to eight years have been hearing about how amazing a punch drunk show is and we just haven't had a show here in eight years so like eight years yeah so it's just while while the immersive uh industry and art and realm has uh, been gaining traction in the worldwide stage people have been buying it so you have some old audience members and you have plenty of new people who are like i heard that this is this is the social event of not just the season but like the decade frankly here Okay, okay. So, so the thing that I really enjoyed, um, but it took me a second to adjust to last night and the night before, was that there, were no, there was no audience culture. So, really? Hmm, how do I mean? Um, do you mean it was like the Wild West? Like, you know, no, every no, man no. for himself? No, or? no, no. Everyone was far too polite for that. <laughs> <laughs> that is the nice thing about the culture over here. <laughs> there were, listen, I will say there were a handful of older white gentlemen who just could not get it in their head that when, an, when a, a character moved towards them, they needed to move. Um, so there was a lot of people just like standing very still <laughs> and getting hit and getting physically moved by smaller performers. Um, but, you know, whatever. It wasn't hurting me any. Sure. Um, no, what I mean is nobody 
none of the audience dressed for the show especially like there were there were no it's sleep no more what you might see are people putting on their their well i've got mine right here i've got a little mm-hmm. um thistle brooch that i use to sort of Aww. signal that i like this show yes. or people will make costumes or sort of dress in theme of, of mm-hmm. a noir movie right um and you didn't see much of that no there so wasn't far. much of that mm-hmm. i think there was almost hmm it it felt like people were going to the theater and they were there to be an audience member mm. and every once in a while you'd see somebody sort of rifling through a drawer um and, and i felt like over the course of of both evenings, I felt like I watched that community grow a little bit more. Okay. Yeah, but um, but it's super interesting, I think, to be in a space where it really does feel like everyone's welcome, nobody has a leg up, nobody's chasing one-on-ones. Oh, you, you, your audience has been better than mine. Oh, really? <laughs> okay, so, so one of the things Sleep No More uh, and Punch Drunk are famous for are having these large sandbox games, uh, games, goodness gracious, um, immersive pieces where the world exists and you exist in it and you're sort of, you can roam about and do anything you want, but for the most part, the show is the show. Um, mm-hmm. However, You have no agency over it. Right. Where you stand, where you look, where you go. Exactly. And your agency is really on your understanding, not on the narrative itself. Right. Um, but this production company is, is very, is renowned for having shows <laughs> where actors do have some agency and at given points when they have the time or space in their loops, uh, which is another thing we can talk about, mm. a, an actor might notice one of us in our little ghost masks and pull us aside and take us to a secret space and have an interaction that um, is singular and just for that one person mm-hmm. and usually changes the story or at least the audience's perspective of the story in some way. Mm. Sleep No More has been running long enough that people know almost entirely where all of the one-on-ones are allowed to happen and they will push themselves and get them into that space where where they will absolutely just like chase that thing and it makes it a little less serendipitous for the rest of everyone else yeah we're not quite there yet but i think with with i mean it's a brand new show so it's difficult for people to map all that out i mean they're not not for lack of trying as you look at the maps that I have in front of me here. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention them. They can't see those at all. I'm not chasing them. I'm just <laughs> curious. But audience-wise, I mean, from my, my two experiences, people who are very familiar with Punch Drunk work, uh, who are very keen to get one-on-ones, it hasn't stopped them from sort of pushing through crowds, trying to get to the front of the group, mm. being the first person behind a character while they're going up or downstairs. Uh, occasionally it would get a little bit aggressive. Uh, but thankfully the show is so new and so big that the couple of times that that happened to me, I was just like, okay, you know what? Never mind. And I turned <laughs> around and I flounced off in the other direction and went to go find something else to look at. And I'm it's sure you fine. found something amazing whenever you did that. Oh, God. Just, there's there's so much. There's There's a town square, there's arcades, there's war-torn plains, there's temples, there's bedrooms, there's hotels, there's tenements, there's, there's more stuff that I can't even remember to list. There's so many amazing spaces in this building. It's almost impossible to get bored. You just can't. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard already of people coming home from the show and seeing, ah, it wasn't as large as I thought, or it wasn't um, as, as interesting as I thought. 
And then they'll talk with a few people and realize that they saw exactly a quarter of the building. They missed it because they yes. didn't open any doors. They didn't right. try any door handles. Yeah. So I'm feeling so bad for these folks who came and were like, it was a bunch of sheets and some sand. What do you want? <laughs> it's like, no. You, yeah. You got to turn a corner because friends, let me tell you, there is a Dance Dance Revolution machine in there. <laughs> there are peep show booths. There yes. is a battery store and a shed full of furs. So there, these are some interesting things that exist. Yeah. There is a horse. There is a horse and it's not just painted. Wait. But I'm not going to tell you where it is. Well, I saw, well, this, I saw some horses. I saw some <laughs> horses while I was there. And you they, didn't see the horse. Did I, did I though? Can you, listen. Um, there is a Trojan horse. There is a, yes. And there's a room filled with... <laughs> crates. Okay, that's enough. Okay, good. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm eyeballing, trying You're to see eyeballing. Where, where I... <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. You found the horse. But some people Wait, are... hold on. To be honest, I didn't actually find the horse. Okay. Isn't that weird? I, I sort of looked through there. I found a lot of the stuff that is horse adjacent. Okay. But for some reason, I didn't look in the right place. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, so then. that's something new I get to look for. <laughs> but do you know what I did find? Which I, One of the things I love about, about this show are the ways that the themes sort of ripple outwards. So you'll see hmm, small little bits of foreshadowing in the set dressing and design yeah. that almost always pings towards something. Like it, it indicates there's something to find out there. And if you set mm. your brain, um, if you take it out of the, the, the literal narrative linear uh, track that we are often on on our day-to-day -day lives mm -hmm. and sort of open it up and just start feeling for patterns more organically, I find so much joy from that because what I'm talking about here specifically is um, wandering through the, the tent maze, the mm -hmm. sheet maze when you yep. first come in. Mm -hmm. um, where you first came in. Where, There's uh, other places where you could come in. Well, we're going to get to that. <laughs> okay. but for, for, but you know what we should do is we should talk about our various paths, at least briefly, we should, right? Please go on about the sheet All right, so in this, in this particular part, um, there are lots of places that you, you can walk standing upright like a normal human, or you can crawl and get into these um, military-type encampments that, to me, seemed very British military in that time. No, yeah. Yeah, okay, good. Because we had lots of steam trunks. And oh, yeah, like a lot of very World War One Tea sets. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> rugs, but yes. also, it's all sort of brown and red anyways. Yes. It's Greek, by the way, of Windsor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> and on one of the cots... Um, I paused because when, when, <laughs> there are candles everywhere, and each candle has a uh, a hymn to a various Greek god or goddess. Ah. Uh, so if you were to look at the candles, you get a little bit of a hint about the space that you're in. Mm. And so this one, um, there was a candle, but more importantly, there were maybe 12 origami horses on the bed. Mm -hmm. um, and this was the only space where I found them. I didn't see them anywhere else. I thought, ah, oh, yes. The horses. Yeah, yes. The we, horse. we will find the horse. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so from, from the sheet maze, uh, you can go any number of directions, but let's back up a little bit and talk about uh, our experiences. Tell me, yes. where did you come in? Uh, I came in in the arcade, I think. You did not. How? I did. Well, so this is my theory, is that in the last room of the, the gallery, there are multiple exits from that space. And so like the first group they'll send left, the next group they'll send right. And then they just keep 
sending people off in different directions. So it's sort of like the elevator in Sleep No More, where they let you off on different floors, the end of that gallery. So my first time, I came out in the arcade. The second time, I came out uh, in the the war plane, so near the near sheet maze. I'm sorry, the war plane? So, well, whatever you want to call it, the thing with the, um, the beams, the, the huge space, the big... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, good. Okay, yes. Okay. Um, those are called hedgehogs. Hedgehogs, sure, right near there. Are they... Are they che- They're anti-tank. Are they Czechoslovakian he- hedgehogs? There's something hedgehogs, but yeah, exactly. The Neither of us have any military background that's that I know. That's actually. <laughs> I'm, I, I am I'm former military, but we never used Well, those. I'm... Sorry. I know something weird about my military experience as a person in the 2000s is they definitely taught me how to fight with a bayonet. Isn't that weird? It's important to know. Is it? Because that means you know how to fight with a knife on the end of a stick, which is life experience that will serve you the rest of your days. Yeah, because we all have knives on sticks all the time. I have one you, right What here. if you don't have a gun? <laughs> I'm, what I'm saying is, I don't have a gun. I'm dead. But okay, fine. Uh, let me go put my knife on a stick over here. All right, so back to hedgehogs. <laughs> so yeah, I came out in that space. So are you saying that for all of your trips so far, you've come out in the same location? All two of them, yeah. Huh. But I'll, I'll text you afterwards and find out. Yeah, well, I wonder if maybe that's a result of maybe they used to let people out in my first trip in oh. the previews, and maybe they've changed that. Well, so one thing that I did notice... My first time, um, I came in completely blind. I didn't know anything from anything. I didn't do any research. Um, which, if you're just going to go see it once, I'm not sure I recommend that. I think if you're only going to go once... Do the research. Do a little research. Yeah. It doesn't hurt. If you go back multiple times, then give yourself yeah. one completely new, everything is blind, I don't know what I'm doing right. experience. And I don't even mean do the research. Like You don't need to go read any epic poetry. No, read the Wikipedia article. Read the wiki. Yeah. And maybe <laughs> look for a little bit about the characters that are in this production because I think even just having any idea about like who's wearing what can be very helpful. Yeah. Um, and, and sort of for those of us with sensory issues yeah. can, can make the thing a lot, a lot more yeah. enjoyable. But for me, I decided just to sort of follow one step in front of another, see where I was going, and it took me through my CD for the first hour and a half, mm-hmm. two hours, mm-hmm. uh, and I ended up then in Troy, which is a much more urban area, less war-torn, more residential, but still sort of dingy and falling apart. It's definitely feeling mm-hmm. the effects of, of war elsewhere. Yeah. Um, but entertainment is still going on, and there's this sort of seedy strip bar area, and there's an arcade and an auto body shop, which is that ever open? I have a theory that that because the Burn City is also in part sponsored by Porsche. That's my theory too. Uh, I think that that space is reserved for when they eventually do big events. Like when, uh, you know how like Sleep No More will do the Halloween party and the May Day and all of that. They might do private hires if they make enough money. I think that that space is reserved for private events. All right. Well, um, why? What's your theory? No, that's more or less my theory. Oh. I, well, my theory was essentially that it was a giant ad for Porsche, which you will see oh. some some built-in stuff for Porsche. Really? I if didn't you notice anything. It's all, like, graffiti, etc. So it's all, like, um, in the same way that you'd see, like, a Paisley Suites ad in, in Sleep No More. There would okay. be, like, a, a poster that was halfway torn down, and it had a, a maze on it, but it also had to be a Porsche logo. 
Gotcha. Well, <laughs> you know what? I didn't hate it because it wasn't obtrusive. It wasn't obtrusive, but it also like well, more on that in just one in just one moment. Because <laughs> what I was trying to, what I was trying to get to was um, the second time around, I felt like I, I knew organically where people how the people people movement was going to work, mm-hmm. and that people sort of start in Mycenae and then end up in Troy for a lot of it. And mm-hmm. many people will end up back in Mycenae, but there we are. So I hightailed it to Troy as fast as I could. Mm-hmm. And I spent the first half hour essentially alone in spaces. And it was just like, beautiful. Loved it. <laughs> Didn't even run into any actors. There was nothing <laughs> happening over there. Nah. But the space was so good. Yes. Oh, man. Uh, so this might bring me to, uh, to back up out of the actual experience of the show from it and sort of bring up the question of price point. Mm-hmm. So over here uh, in London, uh, and having my experience of the East Coast and the West Coast and what theater costs over there, having moved to London, uh, the people who live here will likely not pay more than like thirty pounds for a ticket. Like that's like a day price, like which is the equivalent of like fifty bucks American. Uh, and is that and so, just a going rate for like West End shows? That's just sort of like a day ticket to a West End show. Um, smaller, sort of the equivalent of off West End shows. You, you're lucky if you can get away with charging like twenty pounds a ticket. Um, wow, smaller I'm, I'm shows, moving. ten, fifteen. This is I great. know. <laughs> uh, and, but that's just sort of like standard. Now, obviously, if you want to come at the weekends or you want to come like during a major holiday, the ticket price goes up. Uh, and I think I would say generally the most expensive standing ticket here in London is for something called Secret Cinema, which is uh, an immersive experience. Uh, they are that, just opening up that in New York, by the way. I, I are. consistently get upset that I don't live here or in LA, but right. there we are. But uh, a starting ticket for that is about £50, which oh. I maintain to be still well worth it for what they built. Yeah. Now, Burnt City opens at £80 a ticket, mm-hmm. which for uh, an UK audience is a hefty price point to certainly for someone who doesn't know punch drunk someone who isn't really into the immersive industry that's asking a lot for someone to just pitch out but do you consider I know (laughs) is that a reasonable price point to put for a show like this Oh man, you are getting into yeah. murky waters here. Oh, and then I'm gonna add in. I'm gonna sprinkle in. Is VIP worth it? Well, no. Let's let's throw no, that off the side. Yeah, VIP. I have a caveat for that. Okay. If you are the kind of person who can afford VIP, VIP is worth it. Pay freaking VIP. And now, punch drunk and immersive gods, please hear me. <laughs> Take all that money that's coming from VIP and reroute it back into affordable tickets and a sliding price scale, please. Yes. <laughs> Done. Done. Because. The, they do offer rush tickets. They do. They and, offer rush tickets for twenty five pounds, which is fantastic. And they offer awful, whoa, whoa, whoa. They they offer local tickets yes. as well. So those are two separate things. Yes. The rush tickets, which are done through Time Out. Time Out. Yep. And which, if you Google rush tickets, Time Out, and the Burnt City, you will find a place to sign up for it. Sign up for rush tickets at least a week before you want to get them. Um, yeah. But that doesn't really work for people who are like on vacation here. Right. So let's say uh, you're a, a person who is coming to London either from the home counties or you're coming internationally, which also we'll get to. Uh, 80 pounds to come in. Is it worth it for something like this? Listen, it's what it costs. And, and here, that's, that's, <laughs> that's such a good phrase. But I mean, it is. And this is what, this is what I'm, I'm really interested in, how we, as, as a community and as a culture and worldwide how we value things like LARP 
and immersive theater because putting it on is so expensive, is so much more expensive uh, and, and work intensive than putting on a stage show most of the time. Yeah. I guess unless you're the Spider-Man. <laughs> that was oh my God, don't say okay. that out loud. <laughs> oh wait, hold on. That's the new um, M word. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it costs what it costs. But it costs what it costs. And I think, do we have, as, as an immersive community, some imperative, or at least, um, is it good for us to try and offer affordable pricing? Yes. Should we try and make scholarships available for everything? Yes. But like, without grants, like, if the audience are the only people bearing the costs of, of putting on a show like this, it is, I'm surprised it doesn't cost more. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is true. And it's, it's a major commitment that Punch Drunk have made to the city of Woolwich. Mm. Uh, I mean, they've, they've purchased these huge buildings. They've renovated them from garbage, basically. Uh, they know that it's going to pull at least an additional 600 people to the area per show, per night, two on, what is it, Sundays or Saturdays? Yeah, and that's, so. that's interesting too, though. Yeah. Um, because I remember when Sleep No More opened in Chelsea, mm-hmm. and of course, you know, it is not just Punch Drunk who is, no. <laughs> who is reviving <laughs> communities, but they do seem to have a little bit of a, of a crystal ball about where to go next, um, because I'm, I'm watching in Woolwich even, and like, uh, Woolwich, Woolwich... Woolwich. Woolwich. Yeah, it's spelled Woolwich, but it's pronounced Woolwich. Well, boy howdy. (laughs) Me and my United States accent. (laughs) No, no, everyone does it. It's fine. (laughs) Took me some learning. But yeah, you're, I mean, like, if you're buying property at the moment, I'd buy a hotel in Woolwich. Honestly. And that's kind of, it's kind of weird. I've got to say, as a person who is privileged enough to have fly, flown across from the U.S. and mm-hmm. to, land in here, to land here and stay in Woolwich to, to see a show. This is my big, my big spend for the year, but for a person who's privileged enough to do that, I feel quite weird and out of my element and fairly guilty for, for staying in a travel lodge in Woolwich. <laughs> That's the thing, they don't have that many hotels in that area. They're like, it's just... I'm happy to be spending my money here. I just I sort yeah. of feel like... I feel a bit like, uh, like an invasive species a little bit. Like yeah. I'm somehow coming in and I'm like, here, I'm the immersive theater person. I got news for you. You're the gentrification. Oh. We're the gentrification. Uh, Punch Drunk is the gentrification. But it is, it's so far east of central London. I say so far east. Like it's not really that far east. But, from, you know, in the US, 100 years is a long time. In the UK, 100 miles is a long way. I see. It's a little less than so, an hour on public transport. It's a little bit, yeah, exactly. So it's a bit of a hike. And that's asking a lot of people. So mm-hmm. it doesn't surprise me that there's just a travel lodge out there. But it's worth staying in so that you can be there and be in that neighborhood, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It is undergoing a major renovation in that area. Well, good to know my powers of observation weren't wrong then. <laughs> no. Um, although it's a very diverse area, and I did notice, for better or for worse, um, everyone I saw in the audience was white. Mm, last night and the night before. The neighborhood are the, not the neighborhood all are white. definitely not, and uh, the cast is also very diverse, mm-hmm. um, which I appreciated. There was a lot of gender diversity, a lot of. Um, I guess I don't want to say degendered, but gender swapping from um, mm-hmm. character to to actor. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of fluidity in the show that I yeah. it was very very interesting and great to watch and see. Oh, it's beautiful to see. Mm. That's a good point. You're right. Like, certainly at a price point uh, at what it's at, we're likely to see a, a large sort of white 
trending audience to sweep into the area mm -hmm. uh, to experience this show. Uh, meanwhile, the people who live in that area uh, might not be able. I mean, they have those they have local tickets. That's true. Even so, I wish. Um... I really wish Sleep No More... Oh, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm making this, <laughs> this conflation because it's been so long in my life. Um, immersive gods, forgive me. I wish Punch Drunk and <laughs> the Carriage House and anyone else who's there who has the capacity to, to deal with funding for this show would consider offering a number of free tickets to locals on a regular basis. I mm. think that's... Uh, it's otherwise, it's still a big ask. Yeah. A 25-pound ticket to something that you don't have any experience with otherwise or any real desire to go see. Well, yeah, there's that. Right, right. <laughs> so anyways, to answer in a, in a much uh, simpler way to answer that question, is it worth it? Yeah, because you're not just sitting in your seat for an hour and a half watching no. a show. You are at... The, the experience. The, I want to say Disneyland, but that doesn't quite do it justice. It is, though. It's, it's the equivalent, the immersive equivalent of Disneyland. There's yeah. something everywhere you go. Uh, the entire experience has been built around the audience experience. Mm -hmm. uh, it is, the whole place is a giant candy store. And wherever you reach your hand, you touch something that you just want in you. <laughs> <laughs> well, there. Whatever iteration you want to use. Uh. That. Um... <laughs> Okay, I want to touch on this because we're already, we're already roughly about the 35-minute mark. Um, I wanted to come back to the bar experience. Yes, okay. You okay. had mentioned that you had spent time in the bar. I spent zero time Ooh. in the bar. The only time I spent in the bar was when I was leaving the show because I was convinced that, like, th th there's live entertainment every night in mm -hmm, the bar. Mm -hmm. But I was not aware that the live entertainment in the bar has anything to do with the show that's going on in the actual environment. <sighs> Show me wrong. All right, let me tell you. I was surprised because I'm also not usually one to hang out in the bars in the show because I want I want to see my loops. I want to see as many people as possible. I want to just understand the universe so badly. And the bar is this liminal space between uh, the outside universe and you know who you are as a human. It's the one place where you can take your mask off and have a drink, mm -hmm. uh, and you're you're allowed to talk, yeah. <laughs> do what you will. Uh, and I didn't mean to end up there. I would not have ended up there, except. Uh, last night I went directly into Troy and there was this beautiful person uh, putting on makeup in one of the peep show booths and there was no one else there and I love it when I run into a character just doing their thing uh, and nobody's following them yet. Uh, yes, I just I want to hide in a little corner and just watch them continue acting and like being in the space. It just makes me feel so present. So um, you get a one-on-one -on -one by accident. Sort of, right? Except, except... You know, nothing's changing. If anybody else were to walk in, mm -hmm. they would experience the same thing. But, yeah. you know, in reality, yeah, I'm there and the actor's there and that's it. So I watched this beautiful person putting on makeup and getting ready and occasionally looking over their shoulder to see uh, maybe they hear something. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, is a wonderful way to learn about new things in the show as well. Mm -hmm. Sort of pay, really pay attention to your actors because they're going to be looking around, making eye contact, looking in different spaces... Uh, and a lot of times those are openings for audience members to sort of look around and do the same thing and find something new. Mm. So here I am, um, maybe for 20 minutes or so before somebody else wanders by, and it just, it does not get old for me. For 20 minutes? Yeah. No one else came by in 20 minutes. I mean, people would walk through the room. But they wouldn't Nobody out. stopped. Uh, and then eventually um, a friend of his comes in. And now this is a woman, and she's in one of the other booths, and she starts getting ready. And when I say getting ready, it wasn't just like play acting getting ready. They 
we're doing that makeup for real. This is interesting. Who are these people? Uh, and a few more interactions happen, and I'm just fully invested in their relationship. Occasionally, I would catch their eye, and they'd look at me, and I felt very special. Mm. Um, so of course, now I'm I'm invested. Of course, right? Uh, and after a period of time, they are both ready. They have both not been chosen in a sort of red light district sort of way and we've had some soldiers come through and choose some people or not mm. um and these people leave and i wonder where they're going and they go straight to the bar oh okay the bar doesn't open up for the first hour or so um good to know which is nice i think they've actually started doing that at sleep no more as well by the way that's good you can't just start there yeah because then you'd never leave <laughs> you just paid all this money for this this show that you don't even go engage right. with so um so I followed them, and they, they start yelling, Cece, Dee Dee, is it time to go? Let's go. <laughs> Who the hell are these people? Fine. I follow them on in, and all of a sudden, Cece and Dee Dee are the people I've been watching. They are our MCs for a show, Very Frisky and Mannish, 2010. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just high energy, and it's a really good show. All right, I'll watch this for a round or two. We have a lot of songs about money. That's what I want. A lot of songs about... Um, sort of sexuality and need. And then we start getting guest performers in. Mm. But those guest performers are, uh, they summon the gods at one point. They summon, they summon Artemis and Apollo, who come in and do a routine. Uh, and, it's, and the whole energy of the space changes. It's just extremely electric. Uh, at one point, Hades sings a love song to Persephone, who's sitting in the front row. Wow. Um, at each of these times, it's a really clever bit of people moving because the bar swells because folks have followed these characters in, mm-hmm. uh, and then more people are taken out of the bar again. Sure. Because they'll follow them out again. Uh, I think we had a Polydorus comes through, and this is where he gets seduced into becoming part of the war game machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and more beautifully, Camp comes down a few times into the bar, mm. and if you're familiar at all, or when you become familiar with the set, there's um, there's the bar, which is called Peep, and right above it is an in-world bar called Club, K-L-U-B. Mm-hmm. And Camp spends a lot of their time up in that area. Um, and for my second part of, the, of that evening, which I guess would be the third cycle, uh, I went up and I saw Camp performing some really beautiful and intense dance that was clearly mirroring what was happening downstairs at the same time oh. yeah um so i would recommend it again if you can go more than once take a turn in the bar especially in the middle of the show there um mm. interestingly not all characters loop did you know that i had a feeling about that because there were definitely some characters who i would come across and then never see again ever ever they would just sweep on through do their thing and then would just disappear into nothingness so i might be wrong but my understanding is that hades in particular has just one long narrative there's not a three-time loop which might mean persephone is the same way maybe so um and for those of you that aren't familiar with uh punch drunk one of the other things they're very they're very well known for is a looping system where um you might, the same narrative happens maybe three times over the course of yeah. like three hours. Uh, yeah, and you'll get used to hearing the, the loop music right. at the end of the hour. Like They use the same sort of music to signify, okay, this one's over. So so you mentioned multiple endings. I did, and we've only got a couple minutes left, so we'll, we'll wrap People up can stay soon. with us. People if can they, stay if with they us. Want, fine. Can leave. You can if leave. Want, you can leave anytime you want. Anytime. Uh, yes, there are apparently 
two finales going on at the same time. One in Troy and one in Mycenae. I think I saw them both. You may well have. Uh, and it's a really good way to sort of, well, revisit Factor to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a really good way to sort of keep any single space from getting overflown with like, 600 people in one go. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's, there's two finales. I have only managed, the, the trick is at the end of the third loop, depending on where you are in the building, you're sort of going to get ushered toward whatever the closest yeah. one is. So if you're in the wrong spot, you're not going to be able to like, you know, switch over to the other one because the black masks will, the black masks are the name for the stewards who are placed throughout the space wearing black masks instead of the audience white. They tend to sort of um, they patrol and make sure that no one's acting inappropriately, or they'll also provide help if you're in trouble, that kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, the black masks will sweep you towards wherever the closest ending is. So once you're in one of the finales, you won't be able to see the other one. Mm. Did you, which ones did you catch? Or which ending uh, did you catch? I saw the one in the town square. Okay. And that's the Troy ending. I believe so. Right. Okay. Yes. Um, so... Okay. You've seen them both. I have, I have. And mm-hmm. I, the, the first time I saw the Troy ending, and I really wasn't entirely sure that was the end, until I heard the, the, the signature end music that Sleep No More has always done. It's sort of a yeah. very, like, like... Yeah, it's the old, old music. Gentle, old music. Yeah, right, so, so and I heard it here, and I thought, well, that's weird. Here we go. It's not the same song, <laughs> but similar enough that I thought, oh, yeah, that's the end. Yes. Um, it was that is that is Hecuba pulling out the eyes, right? Of, yes. Right. Okay. Of her, the person who killed her son. Yes. I am getting better at Greek mythology every day. Polythesis. Yes. No. 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 Uh, Polymest or Polydorus. 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 Because yes. Polyxena. Polyxena is her daughter. Daughter. Polydorus was her young son. Son. She set off to Polymestor. Is the go. one who gets his eyes ripped out. Yes. Cool. We're not ruining anything because that's just part of the Hecuba story. That's canon. <laughs> that's canon. It's been uh, there for 2,000 years. So I guess if you if that spoils something for you, then I guess that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> uh, go tell uh, it to the to the Greek chorus. Um, but you saw the other one as I well. did, and I saw the other one. And the other one was much more cinematic. Uh, and from what I can tell, all of the characters who weren't involved in the Troy ending mm-hmm. um, ended their last their last loop and then somehow found space to disrobe. Um, which I, I saw one of the characters. It might have it might have been Iphigenia. I'm not entirely sure who it was that I saw in, the, in mm-hmm. this cycle. Um, disrobe from their costumes into a nude shift or um, otherwise something sort of basic that was skin colored mm-hmm. uh, and join all of the other actors and characters in a spotlight on the main floor of the battlefield between the two hedgehogs. Mm. And for the life of me, I could not tell you who, which characters were on the ground. There were, there was somebody there, somebody in a coat. I wasn't paying attention because I was watching this roiling mass of people of every shade and shape um, moving rhythmically in a way that almost looked like you were looking at the frieze on the outside of an urn. Awesome. Truly, especially with the strobe lighting happening. 
and it was just I'm getting <laughs> chills just thinking about it. Um, and then slowly congealing into this undulating mass of people that moved like one giant human heart. Well, I, I was viewing this from the second from the um, balcony. second balcony, from the balcony from the second story, standing directly behind Hades and Persephone, who seemed pleased watching these people who mm-hmm. through death might have been anything, any of our characters in life, and who in death were all exactly the same and exactly anonymous, just like us, had no power, had no agency. They were just souls and they were nothing. And it was, ooh, yeah. <laughs> what an excellent. But I can't say that I would. Definitely. I can't say that I would say see that one over the other. Wherever you end up, you're going to. Yeah, it's it's such an amazing and amazing. I think the counter. Ooh, hold on. Thoughts are happening. The counter to that being such a powerful ending is that in Troy, everyone in that ending is so individualistic and has so much agency, and they're making decisions right up until the very end. Even though the dance is very similar, the sort of circular freeze type thing everyone's mm-hmm. still in costume everyone is very vibrant mm-hmm. all right that's something to think about yeah. what are the oh <laughs> there's all kinds of stuff um there the thought has been made that uh it is said that three star michelin restaurants are worth traveling to that country just to dine there from what we've experienced I mean, it, it seems already, and you're a prime example of this, of the Burnt City is a three-star restaurant of the theater world. Mm-hmm. If, if you are lucky enough to be able to afford it, it is worth traveling to London just to see it. Simply because we thought that the Drowned Man was going to last longer. Mm-hmm. We got lucky with Sleep No More. It's been around for over 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's also been mounted in Shanghai. The drought man we only got for about two and a half years. We're praying that the burnt city is going to last longer and give more people a chance to travel here and see a really amazing piece of theater and experience something that might, you know, not for everybody, but might actually change the course of your life. Because as soon as you know that something like this exists, you're going to spend the rest of your life chasing it. And just, just imagine how many people came into Immersive through Sleep No More and then through The Drowned Man I can't wait to meet the people that come into this community, to the immersive community, through the Burnt City. And I can't wait to see what they're going to bring for us uh, and how things change over the coming years. So if you're one of those people, welcome. We are so happy that you're here. Um, I want to hear everything about what your thoughts on this show were. Yeah. We want to see, we want to hear about your experiences and we want to see what you make. In the future. (laughs) And on that note, um, Leah, thank you so much for coming. It was such a privilege to meet up with you and to have you here with me uh, for this recording. An absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you for for having me here. Thank you. Uh, As always, No Presidium is a labor of love. Everyone on staff who you hear on podcasts and read on the site are volunteers. You can support this work by donating to the No Presidium Patreon. Just $2 or $5 a month really helps. If you're enjoying Review Crew or the main No Persinium podcast, you can also support us by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.